is a, such a great joy. It's such an honor to truly be a, a part of the kingdom of God, to be the people of the kingdom of God. I, I keep reading this and I want to encourage you, if at all possible, to memorize this. I, I, I love it so much, First Peter 2, 9, because it tells us who we are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, of his own possession, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as these people who are the people of the kingdom of God, God has provided many important things to our lives and to our existence for his glory and our blessing. And we learn about those in a lot of places in the Bible, but we're seeing them as we study the book of Acts. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're walking through the, the book of Acts, seeking to understand what God has given to us who believe, those who are his people. Today, we're going to look at God's calling. As a redeemed, born-again believer, you've been given natural abilities and spiritual gifts that enable you to fulfill the purpose for which God has saved you. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The, the great news about being a Christian is God has a plan for your particular life and he's at work to fulfill that plan and that purpose for your life. He has remade you into the image of Christ. You are now his workmanship and he's got a plan. He's prepared it for you. If you're not yet a believer, I want to encourage you to understand today what you're missing out on. You're missing out on a supernatural life where God governs the affairs of your actions for his glory and your blessing. God can do way more than you could ever hope or imagine with your life. And what God wants to do is, is such a blessing. And he reveals what he wants to do through your life, through his calling, God's calling. You know, we all as saints of God, we want to hear Jesus say, Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. And for those of us who believe the moment we die, that's what we long to hear come from the lips of our Savior. We also long to hear from other saints at our departure what was said of King David. This is Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. He fulfilled his calling, God's calling. If you are a believer, God has a calling on your life. It's God's calling. And to, to be able to live it out, you got to know what it is. And so let me give you a real simple definition that I use, that we use here uh, as a leadership to understand God's calling. It's what I do based on who God says I am, according to the passions and gifts God has given me to serve him. This is, this is God-centric this is not anthrocentric. This is theocentric. It's not centered around humanity. It's not around us, what we think, what we feel, what we believe. There, there's a wrong way of living life. And that life says, you know, I'm at the center of it. It's about what I want. God, I just need you to get in behind what I want. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is the life that says, God, you're center. You know, you, you are king. And, and I want my life to revolve around you. I want to do what you want me to do. And, and so as Christians, we have, a, we have an identity, we have a calling, and we have a particular assignment. And so I, I think this, this graph helps to explain that. And we, we, we've been using this, and, and it's very helpful. Your identity, who God says I am, that's set in stone and it doesn't change. We, we read out loud a, a few minutes ago who we are in Christ Jesus by the power of the gospel. 
So many of the scriptures speak to our identity. And in Christ Jesus, your identity never changes. You are always a blood-bought saint who has been brought into the family of God for all of eternity. Now, God's calling is unique to each one of us. What is that? It's what I do based on who God says I am according to the passions and gifts God has given me to serve him. Again, God gives us different passions. God gives us different gifts based on who we are, personality. So many other things go into God's calling. But God's calling, it's lived out day to day in God's assignments. What's an assignment? How I'm living out my calling at this stage and in this season of my life. And as you go along in life, what you'll realize is that your identity in Christ does not change. Your calling becomes more clear. The more obedient you are to Christ, the more you walk in step with the Holy Spirit of God, the more clarity and competency you gain in fulfilling God's calling on your life. Now, these assignments, they change. They change day to day, year to year. And there's a different assignment that is often given. But again, it's a part of your calling. In the church, we have people that we are a part of sponsoring. And we do this with the gift for Christ. We have partners all over the world and some who are here. We have right now in our congregation a couple that's from Afghanistan. And they were miraculously saved. And now they are missionaries to Afghani people. And we have such a a joy and honor to sponsor them through the gift for Christ. That's why I would encourage you to give generously. This morning, I want you to hear from them. Now, we're going to do this via video and we have to darken out their faces. And let me tell you why. Being from Afghanistan, if they were recognized as Christians, someone could call back to that country and find their family and friends and harm them. And anyone that they would be in a picture with here from Afghanistan, and we have a lot of Afghan people here now, if they were seen, and what happens is they will often call back, tell them where their families live, they will go and get those family members and friends, and then contact the person here and say, renounce your faith in Christ, or they're going to pay for it. So we have to be very careful, but that doesn't mean that, that we're any less bold, I want you to hear the boldness of this sweet couple and to know that we get to be a part of sponsoring the work, the assignment that God has given them as they're living out God's calling. Let's watch this together. So the reality is we have over 400 Afghans now in the Warren County area. And so we uh, just through networking, we found uh, an Afghan believer that's down in Tennessee. And he said, yes, there's actually an entire family of believers from Afghanistan that are in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, went up there to visit with uh, this family. And in basically what I said was, it's not fair that there's so many Afghan believers in one city. We need somebody that's willing to come down and join the work down in Bowling Green. And Yazdan and Mary uh, immediately said, we want to do that. Among Afghan people, we are going to every day, we are going to door to door. The many people, they don't have any car and they don't have any, um, for, they don't, he cannot speak in good English. They don't know the place. We are taking him to, to, to the Kruger and Walmart and then we are, sharing the gospel also we see the love of jesus and always uh, from money way uh, they're able to very quickly 
share the gospel, share uh, hope that they haven't heard before. And it's in their language and it's from somebody that understands their culture and a lot of what they're going through because they, they themselves once had to transition to a new country with a new language and, and everything that these folks are going through. They never see Afghan Christian, Afghan believer, like as my wife and me, we are sages, we are not Muslim, we are Christian, we are believer, but they are shocking. What happened? What's going on? Can you tell me why you become Christian? And then we are starting a story, like uh, our my uh, testimony. Giving to Give for Christ helps fund Yazdan and Mary so that they can do the work. And then also gives us resources so that we can do these Love Loud projects where we're able to bless Afghans and it gives them an avenue uh, to be able to enter into a family in a positive way. So I will request in the PM, so my brother and sister to help us to more grow and more Mm, I share the gospel. One of the things I love about the gift for Christ it allows each one of us to participate in something we would probably never be able to do on our own. Reaching Afghan people happens most often through Afghan people. And for God to raise up this couple to come to us. And friends, this is just one example of how God is at work through our church locally, nationally, internationally. And it takes money. I mean, we're, sit, we're looking at $325,000 as a minimum need. And if we give more than that, there are so many amazing projects in, in, in Europe with, with those church planners that are planning churches among the Muslim people that are flocking into those in, in, in uh, West Africa, where uh, we just had a pastor school and hundreds of pastors are now being spread out all over the darkest places of Africa to share the gospel because of the gift for Christ. Because this little church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and these crazy faithful people who are willing to give uh, from, from, from the, the, the goodness of their hearts and the, and the gladness of what God has done to be a part of that. And so there's offering envelopes on your way out. You can grab, you can do this electronically and it is such a joy. And I pray that you'll experience that joy of being a part of not just of, of this couple, but of, of many in the work that's being done to the glory of God. But I do want you to notice how God is at work in their life. This is their, right now, this is their assignment. They're, they're in Bowling Green. They're reaching Afghans here. Now, Yazdan and Mary, they have a calling to make disciples, particularly of the Afghan people. But their identity is, is found securely in Christ. And every single one of us in this room, all of us who've been born again, we have an identity in Christ. We have God's calling and we have a particular assignment. And our text today helps us understand our part in God's power to work out God's calling. And, and let's look at the scriptures to understand that. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter nine. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you. And I wanna encourage you uh, to go ahead and open it up, go to the New Testament and find the book of Acts. We're gonna be in chapter nine and there's a lot here. And I wanna, I wanna show you as much as we have time for. Now, my little reader's sick. And so I gotta read the Bible all by myself today. So pray for me, double duty, man. I'm not even getting paid overtime for this. Can you believe this? Got to preach and read the whole scripture. But uh, let's stand together in honor of God's word. And we're in Acts chapter nine. I'm gonna go ahead and read the whole section that I, 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 I hope I can preach from. Um, I'm gonna go 10 through 31. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. 
And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with uh, the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon this name? And, and, and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the, an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus so he went in, and among, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and, and, and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. You may be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Again, Acts begins with Jesus having been raised from the dead, but not yet ascended, proved that he was alive. He told the apostles to stay put until the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit did come. And uh, there was a massive movement of spirit. Thousands were saved and the church began to live out what it means to be the church. And then the, the leaders began to persecute this church and in Acts 6, there's a real turning point where there begins to be disunity in the church and, and, the, and the Spirit has to work to, to bring about peace and a, and, a, and a reaffirmation of the assignment to the apostles. Stephen stands to preach the gospel and he does and he's killed for it. And Saul was there, that one we just read about, affirming his death. But the gospel began to spread as God pushed the people with persecution out of Jerusalem into Samaria. If you'll remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, what Jesus commanded him. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring power and you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see by the end of, of Acts eight, that that is now happening. We're now seeing the gospel go from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Philip left Samaria where a revival was breaking out, went to a desert place on a mission trip in the middle of nowhere between Jerusalem and Gaza, where he led an Ethiopian to the Lord. And so now the gospel has gone to Africa. So it goes from Jerusalem. Now the gospel is about to get going into Europe. 
To do that, God has chosen to raise up a man. This one we're reading about today, the Apostle Paul. When you read the first part of Acts chapter 9, you find him on, literally on his high horse going to persecute the church and God literally knocking him off of his high horse, blinding him and making him aware that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he repents and there is belief and he gets taken into Damascus where he had gone to arrest believers and he is now blinded. He is unwilling and unable to eat and he is waiting on God to show up having seen a vision of a man named Ananias who's going to show up and who's going to, to help him understand and believe. And so what we see in Ananias and what we see in the apostle Paul is, is how God fulfills his calling. We see the fulfillment of God's calling in their lives. And so we need to get this insight in how God's calling works. Now, I appreciate the words of Augustine here, and I would encourage you and recommend them highly to you. He said, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. And so there's a responsibility to trust in God, but to do all that we can. And we, we see in our text God's calling of, of what is, first of all, what it demands but then also what it produces. I want to show you those two things. So take note of this. First of all, God's calling demands simple obedience. Simple obedience. There is a strong desire in all human beings to make a big difference. In our society today, we see people that we perceive are making a big difference using uh, what we understand is, can be used as idols, these four Ps. Power, pleasure, popularity, and possessions. And again, there's nothing wrong in and of these things except when they become the ultimate thing that we define our lives by rather than Jesus Christ, they become idols. But strangely enough, in our society, the four Ps are what are elevated as the desired outcome of an individual's life. And, and those individuals with these things are celebrated and they are, they are recognized as those who are making a difference because they have these things. Like someone like Elon Musk, probably heard about him recently in his takeover of Twitter. Interestingly, in 21, he was the person of the year, according to Time magazine. He's also one of the richest men in the world, according to Forbes. And he appears to be making a big difference. Friends, let's be careful. The temptation in us all to climb the ladder the world provides that claims to be the way, the way to make a big difference rather than pursue God's calling, it's real. There are so many worldly ways that we could go about living our lives, but God calls us and God's calling, it demands simple obedience. I heard a pastor say this last week, one of the worst things any of us can do is to succeed in doing the wrong thing. And we gotta be mindful of what the world is calling us to do versus what God's calling is. And if we will fulfill God's calling, we will, we will avoid succeeding at the wrong thing. It's, it's simple obedience. It's simple obedience that enables us to fulfill God's calling. You know, Time Magazine has not always uh, celebrated the secular. As a matter of fact, in 1954, Billy Graham was on the cover and he was recognized as person of the year. If you don't know who Billy Graham is, Google him. And by the book, Just As I Am, it's lengthy, but it is inspirational to hear the story of how this, this man came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now that was in 1954, but in 1934, Billy Graham was a scared teenager that didn't know what he was supposed to be doing with his life. His dad was a hardcore religious guy and he was bringing in preachers all the time and they were having meetings all the time. And Billy, he didn't mind going to church and minding his mama, but he really didn't want to get too wrapped up in, in all that religious stuff. But something happened in that year. 
As a matter of fact, it, it was 88 years to this week because it was on November 1st uh, of that year, 1934. This, this, uh, this guy came, uh, his, his name, it's, it's uh, Mordecai Ham. How many of you guys know the name Mordecai Ham? Show of hands, many of you. Mordecai Ham was actually born in Allen County here in Kentucky. And interestingly enough, uh, Mordecai was there preaching at the revival. Billy Graham's daddy was hosting. But Mordecai himself, uh, he didn't want to be a preacher. He, he, he is the last thing he wanted to do with his life. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the big reasons why is because his grandfather and his dad were both preachers and they were poor as dirt and he did not want to be. And so he fought it for all he was worth. He wanted to be a salesman and he wanted to make big money, but God had his way. And so there he was in 1934 in North Carolina preaching yet another service, another series of sermons. But Billy Graham was there and Billy Graham got saved. And as Paul Harvey would say, that's the rest of the story. And if you don't know who Paul Harvey is, you need to Google that and you need to research that. It's important stuff. I'm just trying to help. Now, like Mordecai Ham and Ananias, you know, m most of us want to live a life that makes the most sense to us. To Mordecai, being a preacher didn't make any sense to him. Why would he want to be poor? Why would he want to have to give up all the, the good things that he wanted in life? Ananias, Lord, don't you know this, this guy kills people like me? What do you mean? Why would I go this? Does it make any sense? Friends, God's will and God's way are not always going to make sense. We are to simply obey. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means doing exactly what God commands without exception. And that's what you see Ananias doing here in verses 10 through 12. He's like, Lord, I'll go. Here I am. Let's do this. And he had to surrender his assumptions. You know, at first, though, look at verses 13 and 14. Again, he's like, Lord, you know this guy's going to kill me. You know this is not going to be the outcome that we want for our lives. And I love that, that Jesus doesn't really give a whole lot of explanation as to what's going to happen to him. He said, just do it. Do it because I have a plan. Do it because it's right. And you know, mom and dad, a lot of times you and I, we gotta be like, we gotta be like the Lord God, the, the perfect heavenly father. And you know, there's times when our children are gonna ask us, why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? A good response is because I told you to. Write that down. Quote me. Because I told you to is a perfectly good response of a parent because that's what God says. Lord, why should I go there to Damascus? He's going to say, because I told you to. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. Doesn't argue the point. Doesn't worry about the outcome. Simply says, I'm going to do God's work, God's way by faith. I want you to look at something in verse 17. I want you to underline. This is underlined in my Bible. This guy was, he was dealing with doubt. He was dealing with all kinds of, of confusion. I'm quite certain. And yet he goes to where God tells him to go. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. Look what he, look what he first of all, he didn't say, Saul, you piece of junk who's been killing people. Saul, you worthless dog that I'm gonna smack around a little bit while you're blind. None of that. Look what he says. Brother Saul. He acted in faith. He trusted God's word. He believed that the Lord had, had already accomplished it simply because God said it was going to happen. That meant in his heart and in his mind, it was done. Simple obedience comes from believing. If God commands it, it is to be done without question, without exception for his glory and our blessing and benefit. There is no place for questioning. We simply act. And Ananias didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He didn't send a letter. He didn't send someone else. He went. 
Now, God may make some of us a Billy Graham or, or an Apostle Paul. He's probably going to use most of us as a Mordecai or an Ananias. What we become is not our concern. What we need to concern ourselves with is simple obedience. I'm seeing a lack of simple obedience in some particular areas, not just in our church, but in the church. Meeting with a group of pastors uh, last week, th this was a point of great discussion. I'm going to give you five things. Now, understand that none of these five things may convict you in any way. And, and just know that some of the things that will be deeply convicting to you may be a, may be a no big deal to somebody else. And, and the thing that's a huge deal to you, someone else may say, well, of course, it's not a big deal. Just do it. God says to do it. God says to do all these things. All right. The first one is this, to gather weekly for worship. Gather weekly for worship. This is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day uh, drawing near. Friends, we are to gather for worship every Sunday. No exceptions. It is an act of simple obedience. We do it because he told us to. One also is a lack of faithfulness in financial giving. There are many who are robbing God. This is Malachi 3.8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You, you are cursed and with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I do want to clarify this. Here at Living Hope, we're, we're not at a point of great need. We're not in debt. As a matter of fact, we're about where we typically are this time of year. And so I'm not, I'm not talking to you about giving financially because there's some great need, although the gift of Christ, that is, that is certainly a great need. But that's beyond your tithe. We, we talked about this as a staff this week is I haven't preached on this in a while, and I'm sorry. So I'm gonna make up for some lost time today. Just kidding. I just pointed out to you because to me, to me, it's just what you do. You get a paycheck, the first check, it's 10% to God. Now, some of you are struggling with that. And why? It's because you don't trust God. It's because you're not willing to simply obey. Some of you are struggling to gather for worship every week faithfully. Some of you are struggling to give financially. Some of you are, are struggling to forgive others. This is Matthew 18, beginning in verse 32. Then his masters summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So also my heavenly father will do to uh, every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Friends, that's harsh. Go read all of Matthew 18. They'll scare you to death. We are responsible to simply forgive. Now, what that other person does, that's not on you. Your responsibility is to be a peacemaker and to pursue reconciliation in every broken relationship. Again, simple obedience. There's also a lack of sharing our hope in Christ, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Last thing Jesus said before he left, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, how many of you how many of you have made a disciple, baptized them, and taught them to observe all that God's commanded? Some of you have been Christians for decades and you've never done that. 
Some of you have been Christians for months and you haven't done that. Friends, this is a normal part of the Christian life that's being neglected. This is a part of who we are. It's simple obedience and then lack of personal Bible study. This is 2 Timothy 3, 14 and following. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. We're to continue to learn. We're to continue to grow in the faith have, have, uh, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Some of you have been blessed to be raised in the church. How are you growing now? It doesn't matter necessarily what has happened in the past. That's a foundation for you to continue to grow on and build on. What are we to use? Scripture. Why? Look at verse 16. Because all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, friends, these are five simple things. And, that, and none of these may convict you. You may be doing all five of these, simply obeying. Where are you not obeying? There's always a place for growth in a Christian life. Where, where do you need to simply obey and some of you may be thinking, what difference does it make that I gather for worship, give financially, forgive others, share Christ, grow in my understanding of the word? Well, to the world, it doesn't matter at all. But to God, it means everything. Because it says to him that you believe and that you're simply going to obey because he is your God and because he has said to do it. And something powerful happens when that, when that takes place. When there is simple obedience, there is, write this down and remember, God's calling produces supernatural transformation. Supernatural transformation. Not natural. Not something that happens as, as a normal state of affairs in a world. Not my scr me scratch your back, you scratch mine. Not, not in, in any kind of give and take that happens. Supernatural. Something completely unusual. Something radically different. It's amazing what God can often do with just a little bit of simple obedience. You know, one of my favorite stories is about a little boy who went to a, a, a massive meeting where there was a, a preacher who was preaching and thousands of people were flocking there. And so, and so he went and it was a lot of preaching. It was a long day. And, and at the end, it seemed like everyone was about to be dismissed, but out of nowhere, he got word through this guy's disciples that he wanted to feed everybody. The problem is they didn't have any food. And so the, the, these guys started going around and said, who's got food? Who's got food? And this boy had a good mama because he had a couple of sardines and some bread. And he said, here's mine. Simple obedience. A little lunch that his mom packed. And you know the story, don't you? Jesus took a few sardines and some bread and he fed a multitude. Because that's what our God does. He takes something really little and in his hands it becomes amazing. That's what he did with Ananias. He took a nobody from nowhere who was willing to simply obey and enabled him to lead the apostle Paul to saving faith. This, this man who had been an enemy of God, he took a little and he did a lot. Think about this because Ananias was obedient. God transformed Paul so that he was changed. Look at verses 18 and 19. He was changed physically. He was able to see spiritually. He was given spiritual sight. He was baptized. He was strengthened. He was changed. And because he was changed, he was able to live out the calling on his life. This nobody, this hardcore mean dude got saved. You know, there's a guy and I, I there's a fellow, I'm going to try to remember to post this. His name is George Mueller. 
Uh, George Mueller, uh, I highly recommend his biography. George Mueller from Bristol is the, name of the, is the name of the biography. It's old. But it's the story of this guy who, when he was a teenager, he was a jerk. This guy was a petty thief. He was a liar. He was worthless. And he got radically saved. Someone was faithful to share the gospel with him. He moved to London. He moved to Bristol. And he opened an orphanage. And this, this, this worthless, sorry punk of a kid became a leader in, 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 in the work of God. And the way he did the work, he opened this orphanage. And, and the way he did his work was he would only ask God. He wouldn't talk to other people about it. He would only ask God. One of my favorite stories is in the morning when it was time for breakfast, they had no food. And he packed all the children into the dining hall and he began to pray. They recorded this prayer. He prayed, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Prayer of faith. About that time, there was a knock on the door. No kidding. And someone opened the door and it was a baker. And he said, I need to talk to Mr. Mueller. And he came in and said, Mr. Mueller, I'm a baker. I couldn't sleep last night. I was just overwhelmed. I, I don't know why. I, had, I went over to my shop. I've been baking all night. Could your people use some bread? He said, well, as a matter of fact. So he went into the room where the children were. He said, children, we not only have bread, but we have fresh bread. Now, no longer had they stopped applauding for that, that there was another knock at the door. They opened the door. Here comes the milkman. He said, I need to see Mr. Mueller. Walked up and said, Mr. Mueller, I am so sorry. I just wrecked my cart in front of your place here. And this milk's going to spoil. Would your children like to drink all this milk for free? That is the power of God. That is the work of simple obedience, asking God to do what he's already commanded. His identity was in Christ, but his calling was to leave. His assignment was to pray and God used it. What about you? What does God want for you? You know, God takes these little things and he does these amazing things. He takes someone who's a sinner, he turns them into a saint and then he works through their life. And so here's this Paul. It, look at verses 20 through 22. Uh, I'm sorry, 20 through 20. Look at verse 22 in particular. It says, but, Paul, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. Why? Don't forget, he was trained by Gamaliel. This guy knew the Old Testament better than those Jews from Damascus. Now he's been saved. And what he's able to do is to explain the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Romans is. That's what the epistles we're going to study next year are. Is God granted this man to be saved so that he could turn around and preach the gospel and, and make his will, the work of God, known. And then look what he did. It's crazy. Uh, verses uh, 26 through 30. He sought to make friends with the church, the very people he had persecuted. And if you'll notice in verse 26, they didn't want to. They were scared. But you might want to underline this. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas. His name, Barnabas, means son of encouragement, but the son of encouragement welcomed him in, loved him, provided fellowship, provided <laughs> this, this scoundrel with access to the church. Reminds me of what God did with me. Reminds me of what he did with a friend of mine. <laughs> you know, I was saved my freshman year in high school, and that year I ran into a guy named Carl Sword in the hallway. He almost beat me up. He was a massive man, huge, huge, scary guy. And thankfully, uh, someone pulled me off of him because he would have killed me for sure. That next year, Carl was saved. And the next year, it was hilarious. 
He drove me way too fast, by the way. That was always his, his, uh, his problem. He drove me way too fast so I could speak at an FCA meeting. And it made me laugh because we were talking about who would have ever thought the two of us would be friends? Who would have ever thought that the Lord would take two horrible people like me and you and turn us into Christians who are now friends serving the Lord together? But God... This is what God does. And you know how he does it? Simple obedience. Simply saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. What was the full load, the full weight? Look at verse 31. The very last thing, it multiplied. What did the church? Why? Simple obedience and the power of God that was at work. Oh, friends, let me ask you. Are you simply obeying what God has commanded? Now, some of you aren't Christians, and so you can't. It doesn't make any sense to you. I get that. You need to come to saving faith in Christ. But if you are a Christian, are you seeing God change your life? Are you walking in obedience to his word? It's not complicated. It's very simple. If not, why not? Why aren't you obeying God? Why aren't you just doing the simple things he's commanded? Friends, you are not smarter than God. He knows what's best. Stop arguing. Stop making excuses. And right now, commit yourself to obey. Let's stand together as you do. Father, I pray that you will bless this people. And care leaders, if you would, come forward. Father, I pray for, for each one of the, those who are, who've been saved in Christ Jesus, that, Lord, they would acknowledge that there's, there's probably an area of lack of obedience faithfulness somewhere. Lord, I've listed some and I pray that each one of those would become a litmus test of some sorts for them today and that there would be changes made today in their commitments to you. And Lord, we, we thank you for your provision of your word and we want to be a people of the word who don't just think about it and know something about it, but people who do it. And we know it's an honor to do that. Who are we that you, oh God, would, would seek us out to be a part of your church and the amazing work you're doing in the world. But you are. So we praise you for it. I pray, God, that you'll convict hearts. And even right now, people are confessing and repenting and renewing their commitment to us. simply obey you. And we ask you to do a supernatural work through us for your glory and our blessing. Hear us now as we praise you for allowing us to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.